Enjoy the best week of your game design life at a Waitress Games Design Retreat. Work with professional designers, developers, and others to improve your games and, more importantly, form lasting friendships with other inspired creators. Visit waitressgames.com retreats for more information and use the code BGDLFAN for a free one-hour Skype session with award-winning game designer J.R. Honeycutt to discuss your projects before attending your scheduled event. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, talking about the little things. Today, talking about little details that go a long way, things to be thinking about in your game designing that will pack a, a lot more punch than you realize, little little minute things that, that really help the game stand out. We're talking to Lizzie Funkhauser. Lizzie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So glad for you to be here. This is something that, that I know you're you're into. You know, we were talking on Facebook about different, different topics, things like that. And this is one thing you're like, hey, I want to talk about this. And so I'm excited yeah. to kind of get your ideas, your, your thoughts and, and feelings as far as designing games with, the, with the, the eye for detail. Before we get into that, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. Well, I am Lizzie Funkhauser. Um, I run the Board Game Spotlight. It's a Facebook group. And uh, mostly we started with uh, just like previews of like Kickstarter games. We do some, some live streaming. Um, we create all kinds of content. And through that, we've met a lot of people in the industry. And my husband and I dove into game design. Uh, I mean, I don't even know. It was I don't want to say by accident, but it just kind of evolved as our involvement in the board game industry started. My husband started a couple years ago, but then um, we recently designed uh, The Walking Dead Something to Fear, which is our first game together that's coming out next month. Um, it just, I don't know, it just kind of happened. <laughs> Very cool. And so let's let's talk about the board game spotlight. You mentioned that. What What is mm-hmm. that? Because it's something I'm a part of. I'm a big fan of the group. Tell me a little more about that and tell me why. You know, tell the, the listeners why they should be part of that group. Oh, absolutely. So it was actually started by James Hudson. Uh, if you don't know, he is a good friend of ours. He works for Skybound Games. He's created a lot of games through Druid City, which is his company that is now under the Skybound, Skybound brand. Um, but he created it as a space for people to talk about board games in a... Oh, no judgment zone. Like, no... People saying, you know, this is stupid or I hate this or attacking people because they don't think that they're gamer enough or they don't like the right kind of game. So it's just a very open and welcoming community where we can discuss games and be really positive and lots of encouragement. You know, a lot of the board game groups have kind of that elitist thing going where someone says, oh, you know, I'm new to the gaming thing. You know, I, I like Monopoly. What what should I do? And people are just like, oh, Monopoly. Oh, Uno, how could you like that? And it's just, right. it can be very depressing for someone who's getting in and doesn't know anything. It's not their fault, you know, and they're just looking for a little bit of guidance. Instead, they're met with criticism. So we want to embrace, you know, Uno is a fun game. You know, I played it when I was younger. I still play it with my with my family, you know, there's nothing wrong with liking Uno. So we're just going to try and help nudge them and like, oh, you like that? Check out this game. Or you like this? You know, that's not bad. Yeah, absolutely. And it's that's one thing I love about the group. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm part of it. It's also when I was working on the board game design lab Facebook group, 
it's something I really wanted to make sure that that's that's the angle we were we were going for. You know, that, that people could come in, they could say things, they could say things that the rest of us might go, "Wow, that was really dumb." But we would mm-hmm. be there and, and go, "Yeah, come on in. Let's let's talk about that. Let's we're, we're not going to call you dumb. We're going to yeah. say, hey, you know, here's where where I was three four years ago, and here's where I am now, and mm-hmm. you're where I was three four years ago." I think that sometimes we forget that everybody started off as a beginner. Everybody started off as a novice somewhere mm-hmm. way back when. And, and we just kind of forget that and get, you know, we, we push our, our glasses up our nose and we look down at people and it's just unfortunate because to be fair, Monopoly and Uno are, were great games, you know, for mm-hmm. their time, especially that we're standing on the shoulders of those games. And so I mean, really they're cool still around, do. they're still, yeah. you know, bestsellers and it's right. not to say that you can't be, I mean, critical or like have complaints, but you want to do yeah. it in a, a positive and like here, let me lay it out. Here are the facts. This is why, not just a hateful, oh, that's horrible. I hate it. Just, you know, well, maybe I felt like it wasn't quite balanced or maybe I felt like there was too much luck involved, you know, yeah, just balance absolutely. it. Right. And coming from that constructive criticism place, mm-hmm. as opposed to, I'm just going to crap all over you or crap all over the game, whatever yeah. it is. I also feel like a lot of people don't understand which game they're actually in sometimes. Like, so board mm-hmm. games, you know, you play to win, but yeah, the board game absolutely. hobby you can't win that. Like you can't win the hobby. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people, they get online and they debate and they argue and they yell at each other. Like they're trying to win the hobby. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's, that's not that kind of a game. It's an infinite game. It's if you're either, mm-hmm. either in or you're out, you know, there is no winning the hobby. And so I think that's another thing. Maybe things get a little crossed over sometimes and uh, people don't understand which game they're actually in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they want that superiority of having the best games in their collection. And I, I only played this, you know, X amount of games and it's like, you know what? If people are having fun and they're enjoying it, that's really what the hobby is about. And that's really what we want people to see from the hobby. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, if you, if you think long term, we should do everything we can to bring as many people in as possible because that's yeah. going to create a bigger customer base. That's going to create more opportunities uh, for publishers because they're going to be able to sell more games. They're going to be able to do more games. And so anytime you kind find of, people to play with. Yeah, absolutely. More people at conventions. And so anytime we do anything that pushes people away, we're actually hurting ourselves. We're hurting the hobby as a whole. And so we should be super welcoming at all times, like for all reasons. You know what I mean? It just makes no sense to to push anybody away because it, it hurts everybody in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. I'm excited to uh, to get into this again. That's the board game spotlight. Check them out on Facebook. I'm a, I'm a member. I'm a huge fan. Big fan of what Derek and Lizzie and, and James Hudson do over there. I wanted to make sure they got a little, little plug right there. But let's get into the topic at hand, talking about little things, talking about the details in a game that, that make a big difference. But what does that mean? Let's get a little working definition. When you're thinking about little things, little details for a game, what does that mean to you? Um, well, it can mean a lot of different things. Uh, for me, it, the theme, if you have a very heavy theme, you want to make sure that all the details line up with the theme that, um, like for our Walking Dead game, we wanted to make sure that, you know, like, the characters all were true to themselves and true to the comic books. We wanted to make sure that someone who read the comic books would come in and, and recognize everything and not be like, well, that's weird. That doesn't fit. Why is this person in here? Or why does this, why are you using this term? So, uh, I mean, if you don't know, The Walking Dead is about what most people would know as zombies, but they don't use that term ever in that universe. So they're known as walkers or various other things. So it was very important that we kept that true and um like especially reading through the rural book and as we refer to things making sure that we always refer to them as walkers and we never use that zombie z word yeah absolutely and so let's talk about why like why does this matter why is it important especially as game designers to be thinking about mm-hmm. this to kind of be you know have a have an eye for detail so to speak tell me why 
because I want the game to be authentic. And so someone who is coming in from, for again, like the Walking Dead thing, someone who's coming in from the comics through a TV show and they don't play board games. If they pull out the board game and they start playing the cards and they're like, well, this character doesn't make any sense. That's not what the character does in the show or the movie or, um, you know, this character is paired up with this one and it just wanted to feel authentic. I want it to ring true to what they understand the characters as and what they recognize them as. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think this is also like you're saying with the theme, you know, mm-hmm. this is yeah. especially true in really thematic games, especially games yes. based on licensed IPs where you mm-hmm. have a TV show or in your case, a comic book where, where, you know, the people playing this game are more than mm-hmm. likely fans of the thing and, and they're so gonna be make... really picky <laughs> that's true they're gonna pick out anytime you screw it up mm-hmm. and that's that's one of those things i guess a lot of these things you want to have such an eye for detail that it, people get lost in it mm-hmm. you know what i mean it, it's kind of like when you have bad sound everybody notices but when you have yeah. good sound nobody notices and that's yeah. what you want you want people to not notice you want them to get so immersed and so just kind of caught up in the theme and the game that they mm-hmm. maybe don't even notice a lot of these little details. Maybe certain things they go, oh man, yeah, I remember in, in episode 17, or I remember in comic, uh-huh. you know, issue 145, this thing, and they put that in the game. That's cool. And that also connects you to the them as, as a game designer because they know mm-hmm. that you care about them, right? They mm-hmm. can sense it in the design that the, the publisher or the designer really, really cares. And so that's a, that's a really cool thing. What are, what are some of your favorite examples, maybe in other games, you know, other games that you've played, you're like, man, this is so, so cool. It's such a little, you know, attention to detail and it really helped the, the game stand out. Oh, the the Death Note confrontation. I don't know okay. if you... It's based on like a, a manga and then an anime uh-huh. series. And I read the whole series when I was in college. And so I was a really big fan of it. And um, there's a character, Ryuk, and he's like obsessed with apples. And so they incorporated that in there. And um, so it's Kira and L, And it's... The Death Note is a book where you can write down someone's name and um, if you just write it down, they die like a heart attack five minutes later, or you can write down the details of their death and kind of plan it out. So this kid gets it and he's got this like God complex where he's killing off all criminals and trying to make the world safer. But they've really incorporated the feeling of um, just how difficult it was to try and figure that out and trying to track down Kira and Ellen and that and the two sides of it. They did a really good job um, capturing the the story, I guess. Yeah, very cool. And I can see how if, you know, if you're a person that's never had any interaction at all mm-hmm. with the story or the manga or the or movie or anything like that, then you might go, why Why are there apples? Like, what, is, what does this yeah, mean? Yeah, because that's not but, explained at all. Like, mm-hmm. for the rules, it's just like Ryuk likes apples. So they're, they're incorporated yeah. in with him. But yeah, it's a detail yeah. that unless you are know the source material, it's not going to ring true to you. You're just going to be like, okay, apples, cool. I'm there's apples in the game. <laughs> right. But as a fan, you go, oh, okay. I see what they did there. You know, yeah. I, I appreciate the attention to detail. Um, one of the things that, that really stood out to me recently was uh, Wingspan. So I got to play Wingspan last mm-hmm. week. Uh, some friends of mine have have a copy. And I was just blown away by the attention of, of to detail that Jamie Stegmaier and Elizabeth Hargrave put into that game. I mean, mm-hmm. when we're pulling out of the box, I pulled out, I picked up the rule book. And the rule book is linen finish. Like it's the nicest, oh, yeah. most high quality rule book I've ever touched, you know, ever looked at. And I was like, what? And I just looked at my friends like, okay, this, this is going to be good. If they put mm-hmm. this much, this much detail into the rule book, yeah. uh, I can't, you know, I, I know the game's going to be great. And then you got like the little dice tower. That's a bird feeder, you know, and that you're rolling dice. I mean, you could have easily just not done that at all. Just had, oh, you know, know. all right, roll the dice right on the table. Like every other game they said, no, we want to put a dice tower in. Oh, oh, we're going to make a, make it a bird feeder. 
you know, mm -hmm. and it's beautiful and it looks good. And it's just, it's just amazing on the table. And then all the other details in that game, yeah. all the way to the game trades. I think it's another thing. And maybe we can mm -hmm. talk about this because I know you know some things from the publishing side now with Derek mm -hmm. working for Skybound and different things. What are, what are your thoughts as far as like all the way down to the, the, the packaging, right? And, and the, the tray in the box or the, the insert, mm -hmm. like, what are your thoughts on that? Is like, how can a designer really, because maybe they don't have, you know, access to the publishing side necessarily, but what are your thoughts as far as like, even just stuff in the box, not even the game itself? It's always fun to kind of take it up another level by adding in those cool things. I know James especially loves to add in special surprises with like the Grim Ma or Grim Force. He added in a, a, a hidden card somewhere in the box that you had to search for that mm -hmm. really added to it. Like uh, the card is mentioned on one of the other cards, but you know, you're like going through and you're like, I don't see this character. What are they talking about? And then you, you're able to bring it out and it's like surprised because of who the character is. I like, you know, a lot of thought go into that. And then game trade, I mean, game trays are amazing. I love a good organized box. That is huge um, to be able to set it up easily and break it down easily. I mean, that's details for thinking about a person who may not have a ton of time. And so making your game easier to set up and tear down so that they have more time to dedicate to the game is actually a really big thing because there's plenty of games like uh, Wasteland Express Delivery System. If it did not have the game trays and it wasn't easy to set up, if all those pieces were in little baggies that you had to take out and put into piles, yeah. that game would honestly probably never get played. It would have gotten played once like when we reviewed it and then it would have gone in the box and just sat there because it's so much effort to take it out. But having the game trays, being able to lift it off and just be like, okay, they're all there. I can just grab it when I need it and it's easy to pop back in. It really adds to the gaming experience. Uh, and I know that's not part of like the theme or anything, but that's the other side of making sure that people are able to enjoy your game and it's very easily accessible to them. Because it's all about game time, not game setup. You know, I don't want to spend half an hour mm. setting up a game and only spend that much playing the game or maybe, you know, an hour, you know, twice as long. It's like half of it is set up. That's not fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something publishers and designers, we all need to be aware of. Whatever the number is on outside of your box, if it says 30 minutes, if it's 60 minutes, whatever, is that the game or is that the whole experience, right? Is that how long it takes mm -hmm. for me to set the thing up and play or is it just to play? And like you're saying, does it take me 20 minutes to set it up, mm -hmm. right? Because if it does, it's going to be harder to get to the table. And I think that's just something more and more we need to be aware of. There are so many games and there's so mm -hmm. only so much time and the time gets less and less every year, it seems like, especially, you know, as you get kids and all these different things. But I mm -hmm. love like what you're saying as far as like putting cards underneath the insert, doing little things just mm -hmm. to kind of, you know, make this experience better. And I think that's a way a publisher can create raving fans. You mm -hmm. know, I, I think Jamie Stegmaier could, could, I mean, he could put a bunch of rocks inside of a, a game box and say, hey, I'm, I'm selling this game. And it would sell out in pre-order at this yeah. point because people like they know that he's mm -hmm. doing amazing stuff and they're raving fans of his company. And so I think it's just something else to, to keep in mind as far as attention to detail. Now, any other examples, anything else that kind of comes to mind? You're like, oh, this is really cool. I like the way they did this. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people do um, like, uh, what's it called? 3D printing, like release images that maybe, you know, it's not something they added into the game, but it's like an extra bonus thing after the fact. Mm. Yep. Like I know James like gave a, a 3D printing for a monster, I think, from Tidal Blades. He get, or maybe it was a dice tray. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I know Space Park also. They had a, a, a little like robot that travels around. It's just a cardboard punch out in the game. But they released a digital file after the mm -hmm. fact 
that people could 3D print this character if they wanted to. I think that's really great. They listen to the people and they're like, you know, it wasn't maybe feasible to, you know, 3D model a, a character for the game. But after the fact, we're going to create it online and then release it to you so that if you would like it, you can print it and have it for yourself, for your collection. And I've seen multiple publishers do that where they've been like, okay, here's a file for you. If you want to put in the effort and print it out, awesome. If not, that's cool. Like it's not integral to the game, but it's a cool thing to add in. And again, that's something that creates raving fans. Because like you said, maybe it didn't make sense mm-hmm. from a publishing standpoint. Maybe it's going to make the box a little too heavy or it's going to make the price point go a little too high. And But they say, you know, if you love this game and you have access to a 3D printer, here are the files. We give it to you for free. Have at it. Make your game look better. Because even, mm-hmm. even as a publisher, you're thinking, if they take this game to a convention mm-hmm. and it looks really good on the table, I'm more than likely, you know, it gives me a better chance to sell that game later or more people are potentially... Uh, gonna buy it and so it's just something to be aware of and to not be stingy with your stuff mm-hmm. right and and release yeah. new scenarios and put those out online and say hey here mm-hmm. here you go uh, i think that's a really cool thing now one thing i, I was, when i was thinking about this this episode um that really stood out to me and i was talking to some friends of mine last night at, at our game night is starting player rules i think this mm-hmm. is a really cool place where you can have some fun have some attention to detail uh, mm-hmm. and like how like who gets to go first yes. and i love it when games do more than just the youngest player goes first like okay that's yeah. just boring like surely you could have come up with something better than that and so a couple i thought were, were really fun uh, one game i actually played a uh, Re- patriots and redcoats which is, mm-hmm. is from a designer i interviewed uh, recently and for that one it's about the revolutionary war and so whoever had the like the coolest or the best fun fact about the revolutionary war they got to go first and so it's like, well, who knows? And so a friend of mine, actually, he's like, did you know? And he like laid out this like really weird random fact that he just knew. And he's like, oh, I guess you get to go, get to go first. And he created like a fun way to start the game. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Another game I played recently was uh, is an alien game. And it said the player who had been most recently abducted by aliens mm-hmm. gets to go first. You know, and so it kind of sets the tone for what the game is going to be like. Mm-hmm. And so have you seen any other cool like start player uh, rules that are kind of, you know, a little attention to detail? Um, well, I mean, like Azul, it's the last person to be in, I believe, like Portugal, because yeah. that's where, you know, the game is based for mm-hmm. our game. It's the last person to read a comic book. Um, yeah. I've seen um, a game a friend was coming out with that is, it's like a, a where you're like a, a bartender. So you're like creating drinks. So it was like the most recent person to turn 21 or the person closest to turning 21. Right. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of fun that can be had with that. And I mean, the start player is usually really arbitrary anyway. So why not have mm-hmm. fun with that? Cause that doesn't change anything about your game. It doesn't add any cost or anything. And it gives a little bit more inter- interaction with the players. So maybe if players are sitting down and they're new, they haven't met each other. It gives them something to, a little bit to talk about and get to know each other and just kind of break the ice before they get into the game, which is awesome. Yeah. And along these same lines, if I remember right, don't you have like a really interesting start player marker? I think that's another place you like the start player token. You can have a little fun, have a little extra detail. Tell me, don't you have a cool one in your game? Yes. So uh, in our game, it is the eye patch from the governor. And it wasn't always that. So obviously, Walking Dead, Negan is a really big character, really popular. And he has his uh, baseball bat, Lucille, which is also kind of a big character. And so for a long time, Lucille was a start player because it was just you know, very recognizable. Everyone loves it. And like, oh, that's so cool. And then throughout the process of the game, the governor was how you became um, the start player was the tiebreaker. And so whoever did that would get what, well, you know, at that point was Lucille. And we're going around. And finally, I was just like, guys, if the governor is the start player, Lucille can't be the tiebreaker because it doesn't have anything to do with the governor as Negan is already a character. Like, 
we'd have to make Negan the start. But I'm like, no, we don't mm. want to do that. We like where he's at. So I was like, well, if it's going to be the governor, we have to make it the eye patch or something else relating to him. So that was like a change. And like when I said that, everyone at the table just kind of like, oh, like that's a really good idea. Why don't we think of that? But they were so excited about Lucille. And I mean, it was something that was a big part of the comic. So it made sense to have that as part of the game. But it didn't make sense when you actually looked at the character and what the character was doing. Yeah. And I think this is a really important point as far as like, don't don't miss the forest for the trees sometimes. Yeah. Because it's easy to get so excited about a special little detail that, you know, mm-hmm. they're about, oh, this is cool. But then when mm-hmm. you step back, it goes, well, you go, well, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> this is really cool, but does it make sense? I think that's nothing to, to think about. Um, yeah. And I, I love start player markers. They can be so mm-hmm. amazing. For my football game I've been working on, seems like forever, and it's it's getting ready to, to become a real thing. I'm excited about it. But the start player marker, I found out, uh, I don't know, I guess it was about six or eight months ago, that you can make custom foam fingers that are only like four inches tall, but they're, they're little foam and like they're, they're made to go on top of water bottles. And it's just this goofy little thing, but you can have them custom printed with a mm-hmm. logo or anything, but it's like a little foam finger and, it's, and you can put it on your finger and you can like play with it. You know, you think, I, I am number one, you know, I am the first player and it's this goofy little thing, but it makes a perfect first player marker. And so I'm excited to, to see how people enjoy that. But there's so many cool things that we can do. Now, any other examples, anything else that kind of stands out in your mind? Well, I mean, I love, like, going back to Wingspan, I love the flavor text on the cards. Hmm. If you have noticed at the bottom of the cards, it's got a fact about each bird. And I love when cards add in flavor text. A lot of historical games will do that as well. Like, if it's based on a real person or, like, a battle or something, they'll add in, like, a little fact at the bottom. And I love that because I love learning and knowledge and I love just expanding what I know. And so having a little thing about, you know, this bird migrates, you know, 7,000 or, you know, however many miles and et cetera, it gives a little bit more depth and it makes the game more enjoyable for me. And I mean, when we played Wingspan for this first time, I think we spent half the game just reading out loud all the little <laughs> facts on the bottom of the cards. And then we, it gave us something to discuss. And then the next time we're like, oh, where's that bird that I had that last time that was really cool and trying to notice them if we go out, if it's in our area. And so I love flavor text on things. That's like like a big thing for me. I would love to create a game and be able to do the research to find all the flavor text on something. Yeah, definitely. I think this is a great place for designers to add those little details. If you have a licensed IP, you can Mm -hmm. add quotes from the movie, quotes from the show, quotes from the Mm -hmm. comic into these cards and and make it more thematic. Or if you, I guess it's Magic the Gathering is probably the best at this. I mean, they, they for decades they've been adding oh, flavor yeah. text to cards to kind of bring out mm-hmm. the theme because the game is not super thematic. If you really think about it, it's just cards that you, you, mm-hmm. you tap and then you do damage and then maybe you know it's, it's mostly mechanisms. It's mechanisms yeah. the game, right? But they use this mm-hmm. flavor text and a really beautiful art to kind of create this thematic experience mm-hmm. when it's really just two dudes sitting there, you know, turning cards. <laughs> yeah, and so it's, they, they've done an amazing job at that. Oh, I, I just had this idea that going back to Jamie Stegmaier and the man, I think is just attention to detail. Or, or us. I mean, uh-huh. he's just the guy. Like you want to like a one-on-one class on it. Study him and his games. Scythe, the board has so many little details. Mm-hmm. Like if you mm-hmm. look really close, there's one place you can see Thor on the board holding up his uh-huh. hammer. You know, and there's so many like little things on the board that like you could just look at the thing for for, for an hour and still see new stuff. You know, and every he single likes time. to tie in his games with other games. So we yeah. recently were playing um, Euphoria. And they had like the artifacts from, you know, the years gone past. And one of them is a board game and it's Viticulture. <laughs> so he added in his own game into yeah. his own game. It's like a so game it's just like a little, Yeah, it's <laughs> just like a little, like if you notice it, it's there. But I mean, it doesn't, 
change the game. It's just a really cool detail that you can find, like a little Easter egg. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a, that's a cool way to look at it. The Easter eggs like you see in movies and things like that. What does it look like to add those to your games? Yeah. Uh, but speaking of which, how do you how do you get better at this? Like maybe maybe I'm not any good. Maybe I don't really have the eye for detail. How can I train that? How can I hone that skill? Surrounding yourself with people that do. Seeing how they do it in their games. And then maybe looking at your games and be like, okay, where is there something that I can add in? So, I mean, if you want a good example in like movies or something, Disney is great at adding it in. If you look at any of their movies – they go back to past things and they have future projects in it. So like we're watching Lilo and Stitch because my son is obsessed with that. And Nani, the older sister, has a, a, a picture of Mulan like in her bedroom. Like it's up on the wall. And it's not, you know, they don't draw attention to it or anything. It's just something that you would have to notice as you're going through. And it's like, oh, okay. Like that's in there. Uh, a lot of Things use music as well to kind of like give you like an underlying sense of what's going on. They'll add music in. And I know that's not huge for board games, but I have seen some that add in music in the background to kind of like set the mood and help with that. Or even creating just a playlist to be like, hey, if you're playing my game, here's a playlist that'll help, you know, get you in the mood or, you know, set the tone for it. And that's a cool thing that you can do that, you know, if you just make a free playlist on like, Spotify or whatever, you know, people have access to free that can help, you know, add a little detail and change, not change the game, but just create the atmosphere maybe that you're going for. Yeah, absolutely. And and going back to what you're saying as far as surrounding yourself with with people that understand, I think that's mm-hmm. that's the case. Anything in life, you know, as yeah. what I tell my students, when you're studying for the for the test for the you know the SAT whatever it is, make sure you're not the smartest person in the study group. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> or if you're yeah. in the weight room, make sure you're not the strongest person in your lifting group. Like you, mm-hmm. you want to surround yourself with people that are going to help you grow and get better. Mm-hmm. And so I think the same thing is true. You, you just got to play a bunch of games and just see how mm-hmm. other people are approaching different things because mm-hmm. it's going to give you ideas. Uh-huh. There's the a Disney game. I can't remember if it's villainous or anyway, but like there's a mechanism in the game where if you're the Captain Hook player and you do mm-hmm. this certain thing, you have to discard your hand, your hand. Yes. Of but yeah, it's, like, it's the crocodile. Yeah, the crocodile exactly. eats his hand. Yeah, exactly. It's brilliant. It's a mechanism in the game that is perfectly thematic, and it's just an amazing little uh-huh. attention to detail thing. And when mm-hmm. I when I saw that, I just watched a review, and I was like, "This is amazing!" And it started getting my mind thinking, like, how could I do things mechanically that also kind of evoke these attention to detail thematic things? Like, what does that look like to have those little things in there? And it started giving me ideas. And so I think playing games, watching game reviews, just kind of you know, immersing yourself in these attention to detail games is a great way to get ideas is flowing. All right. So what has been your experience maybe with some limitations, right? So working with publishers, you know, now, now Derek works at a publisher. Uh, mm-hmm. Have you run into anything that they maybe you wanted to do or you saw a game that like the designer really wanted to do something that was really cool attention to detail, but just couldn't for whatever reason? Because, uh, you know, limitations based on weight, based on price point, that kind of thing. I mean, yeah, there's always going to be things. And I mean, designing with Derek is is always this problem is he like wants to like reach for the moon and do all these like crazy things. And I'm like, that's just not feasible. Like he wanted to do a candy game where you actually included candy in the game. And like some of them had dye in it that turned your mouth certain colors. And that's how you knew you were like the rebel or like just crazy stuff. And I'm just like, you can't do that. Like you can't add candy into a game. You don't know how long it's going to sit there. You don't know like if it's going to be okay after so many years, like, and adding dye to your mouth, that's not something people are going to be, like, jumping up to do. But, like, yeah, when I came that dye is my mouth blue that everyone can see. Like, you know, it's it sounds like a cool idea. But in reality, 
is it really going to play out as well? It's going to be like a one-time thing where people are like, okay, we'll play this game. And then it's like, man, my mouth is dyed blue for like two days <laughs> after that. That's not really something I want to experience again. And it's not something that you could replay because then the first player had the blue mouth and then someone else does. And it's like, well, you know, are they both on the same, you know, like he just <laughs> has these crazy ideas and I'm always kind of like pulling him back to earth. So we really balance each other. Like he's like, you know, reaching for the stars and I'm firmly planted on the ground and we usually end up somewhere in between. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why it's so important to have maybe a co-designer or a person who's developing mm -hmm. the game who can say, yeah, we can't do that. And here's uh -huh. the reason why. I love where your your head's at. I love the creativity. Mm -hmm. uh, kids might have peanut allergies and we're not trying to kill them with yeah. the candy in the box, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Things to think about. <laughs> Or, you Absolutely. know, some kid finding it and, like, eating the wrappers or, you know, like, whatever. Right. like oh, candy. Or maybe they think it's mm -hmm. candy and it's not. And it's just, you know, just stay away from that. It's not safe. <laughs> it's such a cool idea, though. I, I think I it's know. a cool idea. It's it just, is. How do we make it? How do you make it work? Yeah. Awesome. Any other limitations you've run into or, or seen? Um, I mean, there's always, like, trying to think outside the box and then, like, something with, like, magnets, you know, that can make it really heavy and, you know, makes it more you know, expensive to produce. Um, although game design and like people, things people have been able to do have come a long way, like planet. I don't know if you've seen that game. It's like the, they're not quite spheres. They're like, they're shapes, but you add like the magnetic sides mm -hmm. on it. And it's actually like really inexpensive for what it, I think it's like $35 mm -hmm. and it, and it's really cool. We haven't gotten a chance to play it, yet, but I've heard like fabulous things about it. And like, I think that's something that, maybe even like five, 10 years ago wouldn't have been feasible just because trying to add magnets and the weight and I think technology has finally come to a place. So maybe it might not be something that is not doable. It's just not the right time for it yet. And you have to wait till yeah. you have the technology available. So if you have like a really cool idea and you're just like, man, it's not possible now, maybe just shelve it and wait for technology to come up or someone to develop what you're looking for. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what James Cameron did with Avatar. He had this I idea. I know, that's exactly what I was thinking. He wanted to do it in the 90s, and he's like, this will not be the movie I want. Yeah. But you so can also waited. look at, I mean, if you're at a place where you have the technology, or like you have the intelligence to do something, like Steven Spielberg and his movies, like they were like really far ahead of their time, and they've held up like with Jaws or like mm -hmm. uh, Jurassic Park. Like if you watch those, you know, he didn't go CGI. He went animatronic and... Actually, there's been a lot of discovery that took place because of um, like Jurassic Park and asking scientists to delve into it and what did these animals sound like. And they found out a lot of things about dinosaurs because he wanted it to be authentic because he was creating these animatronics and he wanted them to look real. And so, I mean, I just think that's really cool is he kind of pushed the envelope on that. And because of that, he pushed our knowledge of dinosaurs and made a really great movie that stands up. I mean, fairly well. I mean, it is kind of hokey a little bit, but as someone who watched it as a child and watches it now, it's still kind of scary. Yeah, definitely. And the cool thing about Jaws and just the way it all worked out, they couldn't mm -hmm. get the animatronic shark to work for a yeah. long time in the, you know, what during the production of the movie. Uh -huh. And so that's why they had to use shadows and they had to use mm -hmm. the music and they had to use yeah. all these other things that created the experience. And then you saw the shark at the very end kind of thing. Uh -huh. And so that's another thing you maybe it's you can do terrifying. as a designer. They yeah. I mean, maybe if you're not yeah, if you're not able to get it to work the way you want it, try and supplement it with like you said shadows and music or mm -hmm. something else like the idea of the shark is much scarier than like yeah. the actual shark you find. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, the human brain creates uh-huh. a much scarier yes. bad guy, much scarier image than yeah. than you can create in reality. And mm-hmm. the brain is just such a powerful, powerful thing. And so how mm-hmm. can you use that in game design? What does that look like? So if you have it in limitation, you're like, I want to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, how could you kind of supplement it and do it in a different way? Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe let the player's imagination, let them infer certain mm-hmm. things and, and see where that goes. I think that's another cool thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Going back to kind of what you're saying as far as like things in the box, you gotta be careful. I played a game a while back and it had a black light in it, which is such a cool thing. And you could like mm-hmm. look at cards and see the little messages and things like that, but they only showed up under black light, but the battery was dead. And so it's like, well, crap. You know, like we couldn't yeah. play it when we first wanted to, uh, yeah. because we had to go get a watch battery and like nobody just has, you know, people, yeah, people don't just have a lot, watch batteries. Yeah. yeah. You had to go to Walmart or somewhere like that and, and get a watch battery to, to plug in the, the black light. And so that's just something else to kind of think about as, as a game mm-hmm. designer or publisher. It's like, what are the potential uh, mm-hmm. obstacles players are going to have to to do this thing or use yeah. this item uh, and, and trying to plan for those? Yeah, I saw yesterday people were debating about um, like the Lord of the Rings Journeys to Middle Earth because it uses yeah. the app. And they're like, well, you know, it's kind of an expensive game. Are they going to keep up with this, you know, in five, 10 mm-hmm. years? Am I still going to be able to play the game with the app? Are they going to, you know, is it going to work with whatever phone I'm using in you know five years do I want to spend the time and money to do that and that's something else like app-based games are really great and I love that we can incorporate technology and use it for the game but you also have to think about okay is this something that we're going to keep up with for the next whoever knows how many long years so that people Mm -hmm. can continue to play this and enjoy this are they going to be stuck with like an app that's glitchy because it can't run on their phone now yeah, that's a really good point. Is <laughs> you have to plan for so many different kinds mm-hmm. of things with the app games, right? Because mm-hmm. are they using Android? Or are they using iPhone? Are mm-hmm. they on the iPhone five? I recently just got rid of my iPhone five and upgraded because one thing yeah. I was noticing is that nothing wanted to work on it, and everything was yeah. slow and bogged down and glitchy. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. maybe it's time to time to update. Or they might have like a, a completely different phone too that's not the Android or yep. the iPhone, and it's like some random weird one. Because I know um, they tried to do something at UKGE, and they had an app and it worked with like 99% of phones, but one person had this random phone and they hadn't been able to test that because they couldn't find someone with it. And so it like glitched on their phone. And so they had to like <laughs> write a, a code or whatever it is to fix that. You know, it's just like funny. Like there's so many little details with something like that. And I think you have to realize that nothing's ever going to be perfect and you just have mm-hmm. to accept that and do the best that you can and try and cover all your bases. And then when someone comes up and they're like, Hey, this doesn't work or we have this problem to like snap and say, okay, I'm going to, fix that. We're going to work on that. Like be ready to fix the problems, but understand that there will be problems. You're not going to be able to answer every question before it goes out. Yeah, definitely. You can't be all things to all people and trying to do so will just make you lose your mind and and, and be be out of the industry. (laughs) You'll just give up. You'll just quit. To go back to Jamie for Wingspan, a couple of the cards did have like grammatical errors on them. And so Mm -hmm. he had to like reprint them and send them out to all the people who had the game. And so like, as highly produced as that game is and as amazing it looks and all the details in it, it still wasn't perfect. And I mean, nothing is ever going to be perfect. Like just, it's never going to happen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so, you know, you shoot for it, but at the same time, Mm -hmm. you kind of have to have to be okay with a certain degree, certain amount of failure. Exactly. Well, cool. Let's jump into like talking about playtesting. In your experience, mm-hmm. what are what are some ways that a designer can really pay attention to detail during the playtesting process? Mm-hmm. Like, what does that look like when you're trying to evoke certain you know, little Easter eggs and things like that? What are you looking for in that playtesting? Um, <clears throat> when you get to a point where they can, you know, just give them the rules and let them learn it and let them play it, just sit back and, you know, you you have to like, for me especially, like control the urge to like help them out and be like, oh look at that, or like, you know, you want to see 
if they can pick on it up on it organically. Um, and then after like, you going to talk and be like, okay, so like, what was good? What was bad? You know, what did you see? And then be like, okay, maybe ask them like beating around the bush. Like, was there anything you noticed that really evoked, you know, the comic or the movie or whatever it is that it's based on. And then maybe, you know, if they don't see it, point out and be like, okay, was this so hidden that you never would have seen it? Or did you just not notice it? And then after that, you know, take what they say and apply that to the game. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's like you say, it's got to be hard to sit there uh-huh. and like you're hoping, hoping that they notice this thing that you put all this work and, and detail and effort mm-hmm. into and then they don't notice it. And you're like, well, oh, okay. Yeah. But I guess you know, a lot of these things aren't necessarily game breaking. So that's good news. And so yeah. it's not like they missed the whole point. Yeah, like we had people playing the game, um, The Walking Dead, the other day, and someone like referred to the 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 governor's eye patch is Rick because Rick loses an eye too. And I was like, no, it's not Rick. It's the governor. It goes with the governor. <laughs> so, I mean, even though we spent all that time and like I thought it was so clear and someone else was like, oh, Rick lost an eye. It must be Rick's eye patch because Rick is in the game. But I was just like, no, but I mean, you're not wrong about that. And they're like, oh, okay. Like after like someone else pointed it out, I didn't have to. And they're like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I was just like, okay, like even though that was a big detail that I was like really proud of. If they don't get it, it's fine. Like, just, yeah. you know, and maybe like someone's playing this game who never watched The Walking Dead or knows anything about it. And to them, it's just like an arbitrary first player token and it doesn't right. mean anything to them. And that's okay too, as long as they can enjoy the game. Yeah, definitely. I think that's another thing just to be aware of as a designer. Make sure the core of your game, the fun in your game is not based on mm-hmm. these things, right? So mm-hmm. if someone has never had any interaction with whatever the theme is or they don't understand it or they don't, they've never seen the movie or their comic or whatever, mm-hmm. that they can still play the game and have fun. Because more than likely at game night, not everybody is going to be a fan of the thing. You know, they might yeah. be one or two people that love this game. Like, oh, I just got this game. It's based on this comic. It's one of my favorites. You guys want to play it? And they're like, well, I've never had any experience with it. But cool. You want to play? Sure, we'll play. And then it has mm-hmm. to be good for them too. And so I think that's something yeah. to, to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I just for people who maybe haven't seen it or like just be open to trying games that push your comfort zone or like, you know, like are not things that you typically typically play. Because I, I mean, I hate to go, keep going back to the same thing, but Wingspan, I've seen so many people refuse to play it because they're like, oh, I wish it was fantasy. I wish it was dragons. And I'm just like, pretend it's dragons. Like, it's a good game. <laughs> like, I think it's a lot of fun. Like, why wouldn't you play that? And for me, like, for, for, like, WEDS, the Wasteland Express delivery system, I did not want to play that because post-apocalyptic things aren't always my my jam, you know? And I, it's kind of uh, grotesque. Like, you know, there's kind of, like, bloody and it just didn't speak to me theme-wise. But the mechanics of the game and the way the gameplay plays out is fantastic. And I love the game and I will play it any time now because I really liked the game. Um, and the theme is secondary to me like some people's theme is like everything some people it doesn't matter either way you are give a game a chance the first time you know you may being end up being really supply surprised and if not you know what's the worst that happened is you played a game with your friends for an hour that you decided you didn't like and now you know going forward not to play that game for yourself yeah definitely and maybe a dragon will be a promo card for wingspan i can see that you know (laughs) or maybe you can just get over it just play the game (laughs) that's also true you know and i'm not i'm not a big fan of birds you know i was looking at like me neither yeah but it's an amazingly designed game and so i remember when it when it first started coming out i sent jamie an email i was like hey man if you'd have told me a year ago that 
you were going to put out a game about birds and it was going to sell out in five minutes. I would have laughed. I was like, there's mm -hmm. no way. Like, what in the world? What, what universe are we living in? But that's that's where we live in now. And so, yeah, get out there and play it. Give it a shot. There's a reason why these games stand out. Yeah. And so whether you really enjoy the theme or not, as a game designer, play mm -hmm. it anyway because you're going to learn something from it. It's research yes. at the end of the day. And so, yeah, absolutely. And Elizabeth Hargrove, the designer, she said that she designed it because, you know, she was, you know, like that was her vocation. You know, this is what was interesting to her. That's what she had experience mm -hmm. in. And there were no games that spoke to her and her interests. And so she right. was like, you know, there's tons of fantasy and space and that's great. But I wanted something real and I wanted something scientific. And so she built this game based on her interests and her knowledge. And I think it's a really great. Uh, ambassador for the hobby because there's so many people that just think board games or whatever is just like this geeky nerdy thing and it's all sci-fi and fantasy or whatever and so it's really great to see people be like oh game about birds it's really pretty it's nature it's something different and it interests people outside the hobby and gets them into the hobby and I think so many people who were like poo-pooing at it and being like oh it's not fantasy I wish it was dragons or something it's like sure but think about other people who maybe don't like dragons or don't mm. like the same things that we do, it's interesting to them and it's going to get them in the hobby and get them interested. And I think a lot of people will only think about other board gamers. They don't think about bringing people into the hobby. They're like, well, I'm just going to convince them that Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and everything is great. It's like, well, why not make something that appeals to them? Like, think about it that way. Yeah, definitely. I think if that game had been a, a, a fantasy theme, fantasy setting, mm -hmm. I don't think we'd be talking about it right now. I know the oh, New no. York Times would not have picked would it up have, as, yeah. as something. Uh, it would not have uh -huh. shown up in so many places that it's shown up. It would not have appealed to all the many different people it has appealed to. You know, it has, like you're saying, has brought people into the hobby. I've, mm -hmm. I've read several people saying, my, you know, my wife never wants to play games. She, you know, she doesn't care about mm -hmm. games, but she saw Wingspan and she's like, okay, I'll give that a shot. And now she's in. You know, yeah. she's like, I want to play more games. Okay, I didn't realize it was this. You know, yeah. and so it's it, like you said, it's been an incredible ambassador, and the attention to detail cannot go understated. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. it, or overstated. Uh, it, it's just an amazing thing. And so, what does that look like for whatever game you're working on? Uh, not that you shouldn't make more fantasy games or zombie <laughs> games or you know, space. Yeah, whatever. I mean, we need all there's things. definitely a place for it in the hobby, but I think there's also a place for things that maybe don't already exist. Um, so I'm working on a like 1940s World War II game, but instead of it being, you know, battle and war and all the men, it focuses on women in a small town um, in, like, protecting the town from outside forces. You know, as the men are all gone, they've stepped up and taken on that role, and so I'm working on that. So it's, like, kind of a point of history that I'm really interested in, but it's a side that most people don't focus on because in World War II, people focus on the war and the soldiers and the fighting. They don't focus on the people back home and what it was like for them. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, this is one of my favorite things in the world. I love when someone takes something, a, a genre, a theme, whatever, a mechanism even, that's mm -hmm. been done to death. And then they look at it from a different angle and they change everything. So like mm -hmm. Dead of Winter. Dead of Winter is a zombie game, but it's not. It's not about zombies. It has nothing. Mm -hmm. Zombies are just part of the, the setting. That's really all mm -hmm. it is. And it's about so much more than that. And then, you know, so many movies have done the same thing. And like you're saying, you know, World War II is always about the guys on the front lines with tanks and machine guns, all this stuff. But what if it's not? What if that's that's what mm -hmm. if that's off in the distance? And we're going to mm -hmm. talk about something completely different from that in the same setting, in the same world. And what does mm -hmm. that look like? How can we, you know, what kind of new stuff can we bring to the table? I think it's a really cool thing. So I hope I hope to play that game at some point down the road. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Lizzie, this has been awesome. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts or like final ideas? Like if somebody's really sitting there thinking they're listening to this, like, okay, attention to detail. What does that mean? Like, what would you tell mm -hmm. somebody? What kind of encouragement would you give them, you know, as, as a designer? 
Um, I'd say, you know, start small. It's not everyone's strong suit. And maybe you really need someone to help you find those details. And then the more practice you get, the easier it'll be. So if it is your strong suit and you're excited about that, you know, maybe do some research on whatever your topic is or game or, I mean, look at other games, play as many games as you can to get inspiration. And if it's not something that comes naturally to you, find someone who it comes easier to and get to know them and talk to them and look at their work and just get inspiration from whatever you can and from whatever games and whatever sources. I mean, it doesn't even have to be games, music, TV shows, books, comics, even just real life. Just try and notice the things around you. Sit and just watch. Yeah, absolutely. I tell people all the time, you can't change what you don't notice. And mm-hmm. so just get in the habit of just noticing things. That's, that's mm-hmm. really, really good advice. Well, Lizzie, this has been awesome. Really, again, uh, again, appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with all the stuff you're working on, all the many games I know are in the works that I get to see a, a peek every now and then and uh, everything with the board game spotlight and everything else you got going on right now. Thank you. Yeah, this is so much fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?